0: Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Scheckman. We throw around the word globalization sometimes without really thinking about all of its meanings. The instant and free flow of goods around the corner and around the world, though, comes with a cost. The iPhone delivered overnight from China. The specialty coffee from around the world. The stores filled with goods from hundreds of countries. Rarely do we stop to think how all of this gets to us. Sure, we see or even complain about all the trucks on the road, but that's only the end of the journey, sometimes the last mile. Many of the items of daily life travel hundreds of thousands of miles to reach us. Think about all those container ships at every major port in the world. Beyond this, the story of traffic and our cars, only compounds the clogged highways. What successful community is not dealing with or complaining about the scourge of traffic? That's the hidden story that my guest, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Ed Hume, tells in his new book, Door to Door. Ed Hume is the author of the previous books, Inside the Snitch Tank, Garbology, No Matter How Loud I Shout, Mississippi Mud, Force of Nature, A Man in His Mountain, and Numerous Others. It is my pleasure to welcome Ed Hume back to this program to talk about door-to-door, the magnificent, maddening, mysterious world of transportation. Ed, thanks so much for joining us. It's
1: my pleasure, Jeff. It's
0: great to have you here. This whole idea of transportation, how goods get to us, all the traffic that we see on the roads, the realities and the complexities of traffic, it's something that we complain about a lot, we think about a lot, but we also take for granted most of the time. It's not something that we really focus on.
1: Well, we, you know, we're obsessed with parts of it, right. right? I mean, our our daily commute just drives us insane. You know, but for the average American, that's about fourteen miles each way. If you stand in the middle of your your home and look around you, you'll see that there's hundreds of thousands, even millions of miles embedded. You know, that's our in everything you're looking at. That's our true daily commute. You know, even the. You know, you're driving to work, and that gasoline in your tank, if you live in California, it's sourced from 14 different countries and four states. It comes to you by rail, by pipeline, by tanker ship, and by truck. You know, that gallon of gas has 100,000 miles on it before you even leave the gas station. That's that's how deeply embedded massive amounts of of movement and miles and transportation uh, is in our daily lives.
0: Not to mention the transportation itself. The cars we drive today are made. They may be assembled in Japan or they may be assembled somewhere in the U.S., but the parts that make them up come from every corner of the globe.
1: They do. Uh, well, I, I looked. Uh, I, I did a little research on the car I drive, which is a. Uh, uh, a Scion, it's a Toyota mm-hmm. Motors product, and and it's got about thirty thousand parts in them, and they are, as you say, sourced from all over uh, the the globe. And uh, I, I worked out uh, it was about a, you know, a trip to the moon and back, you know, about <laughs> half a million miles. Uh, I'm sorry, five hundred million miles, uh, uh, on uh, on that car's collective parts before the odometer clicks past zero.
0: Of course, that doesn't take into account, really, the economies of scale, essentially, that the ships bringing those parts or the trucks bringing those parts really are bringing thousands and thousands of parts sometimes. So it really, it, it kind of prorates out over the number of parts.
1: Well, it does, and, and manufacturers who do life cycle analysis of their Products will say, "Oh well, transportation is uh, this a small part of our footprint. It's all in the manufacturing and all." And, and that's sort of one of these factually accurate assessments that nevertheless hide a, a larger uh, and, and less happy truth. Because if you look at the entire transportation sector of moving moving ourselves and our stuff, uh, it's it's. Barely second, almost first, barely second in terms of its consumption of uh, our energy and its emission of carbon. Uh, and uh, it's number one in how much we waste. Our transportation sector is the most wasteful part of our economy. Almost 80% of the energy we expend to move things uh, is wasted so inefficient it's paradoxical it's like the two things both can't be true but they are and and part of the reason for that is that we don't really count everything when we do these kinds of analysis of of the life cycle of products for instance the tanker ships you mentioned um massive super mega ships uh 160 of those have uh, emissions in particulates and smog-related emissions. 160 of these ships are equivalent to all the cars in the world, (laughs) There's 6,000 of these ships. And they are uh, not even counted because they're making these emissions outside any international boundary, so they belong to no one's carbon. It's just sort of off the books.
0: It's also counterintuitive when we think that we're doing good sometimes by ordering online, we don't have to park our car, we don't have to drive to the mall, we don't have to go to the store, we don't have to pollute the air. But in fact, the things we're ordering online have their own footprint.
1: They do. And, and you know, it's, it's ironic. People really hate the, the growth of trucks on the road, but they don 't make the connection between the fact that when you click buy it now you 're creating another <laughs> truck trip <laughs> on the The convenience and efficiency of online shopping has this hidden cost, which is more traffic on the road's more truck traffic and it's it's very it's very costly. You think about those boxes that come from an online retailer like Amazon, you know a big box with a little thing inside we 've all seen that if you order stuff online right. and that creates a whole nother uh, a problem of of inefficiency and waste and more trips.
0: Talk about rail transportation—something that used to be very much a part of the American economy and is significantly less so, it seems, today.
1: Well, if we're talking about sort of uh, you know big big uh, big trains cross country, uh, 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 yeah, America is is really not the land of the of the rail travel anymore. Um, as it once was and as other countries, notably in Europe and Asia, are now. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but um, on the other hand, we have one of the best uh, freight rail systems in the world. We're kind of the envy of the world on, on that. It's, it's one of the big success stories of the uh, uh, in the transportation sector, but um, the, the success of the Uh, Freight lines was kind of built on the demise of the passenger train lines through deregulation uh, and other steps that the government took.
0: Talk a little bit about the number of trucks on the road, and, and what do the statistics tell us in terms of what we perceive that really it is growing so significantly, that people that have been driving on the roads for many years will, will argue that the number of trucks on the road has really increased geometrically over the past several years.
1: Well, it has, just as the amount of, of goods that are coming in from abroad to our, our, our ports has increased mightily in the last twenty five years uh, and you know every product sold in America uh, at some point rides on a truck whether it's to get it from the port to somewhere else or from from something close to its end destination to you know to the store or to your doorstep um, trucks are the, the the link we can't seem to do without and it, it has a huge environmental and cost and traffic impact on our on our cities and uh, the whole the country at large, and also, you know, it's the average big rig truck, fully loaded, inflicts about uh, ten thousand times as much wear and tear on our roads as the average passenger car, and yet they pay uh, just a dime more a gallon for their uh, the fuel tax. So we we sort of have a these huge hidden su- uh, subsidies and built into our transportation system. Uh, which is one of the reasons why we we have so much of a backlog in maintenance, like three point six trillion dollar uh, repair bill that's waiting uh, and has no uh, has no money to to fund it, and that has an impact on both goods movement and people movement.
0: At what point do we reach potentially reach some kind of critical mass with all of this that that we really get to? beyond the overcapacity we already have with respect to our roads and infrastructure
1: well i live in the los angeles area we we're, we were there already the average uh, uh for 2015 um uh los angeles was uh, one uh, arrested the uh, dubious distinction from washington dc of having the worst traffic in america the average los An- angelino spends uh, 81 hours a year stuck in traffic uh, you know two full work weeks uh, I, I say we're at that, that uh, fork in the road right now, and, and there's a lot of reasons for it. But one of the big ones is that we will allow myths and, and assumptions about what causes traffic to govern our decisions on, on what to do about it. And, and most of those decisions have been bad ones.
0: Talk about what some of those decisions have been. What has been the instinct in terms of ways to deal with it?
1: Well, the instinct is always, oh God, there's a traffic jam on the 405 freeway, or you name, you name it. Let's add some lanes. Let's build a big mega project and make more room for cars. And the, uh, the problem is, that it never works. Uh, we we have ample capacity to carry all the cars we need to carry on most of our uh, highways and streets except for a few hours a day it's kind of like electricity you know our capacity is great except during a heat wave and everybody turns on their air conditioner and and the circuits blow that's that's what rush hour is uh, and so what does is, what, is, what does a utility do about that well they raise their rates during peak hours and discourage overuse uh, that's the kind of approach uh, most transportation experts believe is necessary for roads you don't Bolt on new lanes because more cars will just come to that particular road and fill the vacuum. You know, feel the dreams if you build it, <laughs> they will come. Principle at work. Uh, the real, the, the real, uh, uh, and successful approaches around the world have been used: uh, find incentives and and ways to persuade drivers to uh, change their behavior and and move at different times. <laughs>
0: One of the most oft-talked-about topics in the world of transportation lately is the idea of the autonomous car. How might that impact the kinds of things we've been talking about?
1: Impact's a good word, because one of the things that uh, the driverless car will do is stop having so much, uh, you know, uh, crashing. (laughs) That kind of impact is is one of the uh, great hopes for driverless cars that they you know cut down on the uh, on the loss of life and loss of property and and uh, loss of health that we we have in the daily carnage on our roads but beyond that part of the package is also more efficiency uh, driverless cars don't need uh, the 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 lane space and space between vehicles that humans need because their reactions are so much better and so much more predictable. So it's conceivable that that becomes the major means of of, of moving around, both for people and and goods movement. That we we would need fewer lanes. We would need far less parking because uh, you know the driverless car doesn't need to have you in it. So it can go off and do something else rather than park somewhere. It would it would be a complete disruption of everything we know about traffic and, and movement uh, in a good way.
0: Are there traffic engineers and people that are looking at those potential consequences and really trying to understand how we can begin to plan for what that future might look like?
1: Interesting. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> We're basically sort of blindly hurtling towards this, this future disruption, although I, I, there was just a survey of... Uh, transportation plans in major cities and metropolitan areas around the country, and something like only seven percent of those plans, even the ones that have just been updated, like Los angeles is, don't even mention driverless cars. Don't even mention ride sharing like Uber and Lyft, and consider the impact that they have. Where well, they're still stuck in sort of the '60s, '70s, '80s mindset of just trying to get cars to move faster through the landscape, which has gotten us in the fix we're in now. And it's just inconceivable that the most disruptive potential developments in the uh, it, 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 on the horizon in transportation, autonomy, and ride-sharing aren't even in our planning right now. That's really got to
0: change. It's got to change, but no, we tend to not change until it's too late, until we're totally reactive as opposed to being proactive about any of it.
1: You're right, but this is the kind of thing where for once we need to think uh, proactively uh, because otherwise we're going to be spending bill- – I mean, they just added a lane to the 405 freeway here in Los Angeles, area, right. a 10-mile stretch, it costs $1.4 billion to do. You know, Now that it's complete, the commute across those ten miles takes a minute longer during rush hour than it did before, proving my point about the uh, the, the field of dreams phenomenon. Uh, and that kind of massive expenditure, uh, if we don't look at what's on the horizon, it's going to just be wasted money. We could be putting it into more productive investments in in fixing traffic and anticipating the next thing in in transportation. But. Um, you know our politicians like those ribbon-cutting moments when they open up that lane. Never mind that they're getting no bang for the
0: buck. The other thing that that is aging as well, and that we're not really addressing very much, is public transportation in this country.
1: Well, you know, some some communities are investing heavily in it. Los Angeles is one of them. They've been uh, they have had more late rail construction um, to try and uh, and reduce uh, congestion, uh, uh, traffic congestion in the area for. For the last uh, twenty years, and it's had not a whole lot of impact on traffic there's a lot of good reasons to build mass transit, but if we expect to put up a rail line and have traffic jams disappear we're going always going to be disappointed um, that's uh, it's just part of of the mix there's only one place in America where people uh, commute daily by public transit in such numbers that it diminishes traffic and that's New York City. Mm-hmm.
0: Part of the problem is that car culture, as you've written about, is just so ingrained in the DNA of the country.
1: It is, and we don't really see how, how massively, crazy some aspects of the way we get around in cars is. What, you know, the average car Morgan Stanley calls the car that one of the worst uh, wastes of resources and investments uh, as it's currently deployed and used in the in the country in the world uh, because. 22 out of 24 hours a day, the average car isn't doing anything. It's just sitting at the curb or parked somewhere or in the garage, uh, even though we're paying dearly for it's the second most expensive thing besides your house. You're going to be, a typical household is going to have on its accounts, uh, and it's mostly a big waste. And think about the average person driving to work is one person in a car that weighs 4,000 pounds and is designed to carry uh, five people and eight suitcases, and it's a jack-of-all-trades vehicle. It's not designed for, and there's a reason for that, because we want our cars to do everything, even though mostly we're just driving alone in a car, and so we're wasting all that gasoline. And there has to be a more efficient way of moving us around without sacrificing the, the freedom and convenience of uh, of having your own car. Uh, and, but we're stuck in this 100-year-old model of what a car should be like. and, and it's, it's not working.
0: Are we beginning to see a little bit of a change of attitude among the millennial generation, particularly in terms of their migration to the cities, their willingness, or greater acceptance of public transportation? Are we beginning to see a little bit of a sea change that might address some of this?
1: The, the, the the survey seemed to suggest that uh, uh, car ownership and that sort of classic rite of passage that you and I had when you right. turned 16 and get your job isn't as important to the uh, to the millennials and the, and and the up and coming generations as as a group you know there's a there's a downtick in in uh, car ownership among them uh, and uh, you know some of them are not getting their licenses until they're a little bit older it's just not as important to them um I, it's not a huge tidal wave trend, but mm-hmm. it's definitely significant numbers. So, uh, yeah, there, there is that, but you know, people, people, most Americans are still fond of their cars. There is the car culture that you're talking about. And, and there's, you know, places, both city and, uh, suburban and rural areas where it's hard to figure out how to get around without one. So we haven't solved that yet, but, um, you know we're still burning dead dinosaurs <laughs> I right. I think that the efficiency hasn't really i mean we're bolting uh... computer chips on top of industrial age technology with the pistons and exploding gas and there are better ways to build a car there's better ways to make traffic work work for us instead of against us and and we haven't even begun to try to tap those uh, possibilities yet.
0: I guess until we get to the point where 3D printers can make everything we need right at home, we're still going to need all this stuff delivered and moved around.
1: Well, you know, that is sort of one of the great hopes for this this very uh, uh, technology still in its infancy, uh, 3D printing, that, uh, you know, when you shop online, you won't be buying a product anymore, but you'll just be buying the software that allows it to be manufactured Either in your home or some sort of uh, 3D factory near your house. I mean, uh, that would be goods movement without without trucks, and that really would be something. But then, what are the truck drivers going to do? The last bastion of uh, blue collar prosperity, or one of them is is in logistics and goods movement, and uh, that's going to be a, a disruption we're not going to like.
0: Right, and that, that disruption potentially will also happen just from anonymous vehicles. I mean, when trucks are self-driving as well, that's going to change that landscape.
1: We're getting close. I was, you know, while I was working on uh, on Door to Door, I sort of got into the logistics of pizza and hung out with the Domino's folks and how they move pizza around. I mean, Domino's is not a pizza company. Its franchises are. They're actually a transportation company, mm-hmm. and they have a fleet of trucks that are that have— uh, autonomous collision avoidance systems in them already it's it's really impressive to try and make their vehicles safer and uh, uh, allow them to shave some some time off their uh, their deliveries of goods and uh, that's just the beginning of of what we're going to see in, in technology transforming
0: for sure. It's just so interesting right now to be at this, this kind of inflection point where this new technology is all kind of on the horizon. We can see it out there. We can almost touch it. We can talk about it without it being science fiction. And yet we are living day to day with that old technology that and, and those old vehicles that we've been talking about.
1: And, you know, the car companies are really quite torn by this because on the one hand, they they want to have the latest bells and whistles on their vehicles they you know and so therefore many of the manufacturers are um, marketing autonomous technology as as a feature um and it, and a great feature but without disrupting the current model of uh owning your own car uh, just you'd be owning a car with a really cool computer in it whereas you have Players like Google and Uber and others who are developing driverless cars it's a completely different model uh, you don't you know if if that model comes to fruition, we're not going to be buying cars anymore we're going to be uh, using them like cell phone minutes and uh, you're going to summon a car when you need it and t- it'll take you where you want to go and then go off and service somebody else um, and that model is going to greatly diminish the need for if it happens for for owning your own car, uh, you, you would save a lot of money that way. But the car companies would be uh, devastated.
0: It's a brave new world indeed. Ed Hume, his book is door to door: the magnificent, maddening, mysterious world of transportation. And it's always a pleasure. I thank you so much for spending time with us.
1: I always enjoy it. Thanks, Jeff.
0: Thank you.